This is Voices of Research. I am Mikael Tristadius, and you are listening to Radio Moreni. Here we go yet again. Welcome to Radio Moreni, Thomas Appelli. Thank you for having me. Where are you from and how long have you been in Finland? I'm from New Zealand, Ussisilanti. I mean, I could go into the details about what town, but it seems like that might not really be relevant. It's far enough away already. <laughs> but I've been here for just over two years in Finland. Before that, I was living for around about 15 years in Australia. Well, how did you end up here? I mean, why Finland and why this exact university? Well, Tampere University has the Center of Excellence in GAM Culture Studies. It's a leading center in the study of video game production and cultures. I'm a scholar that uh, wants to be where interesting things are happening. And there was an opportunity to work here as a senior research fellow. And that seemed nice to me. I've been to Tampere before and it didn't seem horrible. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Seemed perfectly fine. Well, have you liked it here in Finland? For example, this winter is probably somewhat different than one in New Zealand. Uh, how have you adapted? Well, I don't really have many problems. I think that maybe as a family, my family and I have had some kind of administrative problems in comprehending some things which are quite elaborate but also outside of our language skills around schools, doctors, this kind of thing which makes some of the things in you take for granted in everyday life a bit of a struggle but we've been okay with that. I think the hardest part was that because of COVID my partner's residency application took like something along the lines of eight or nine months to be processed and that was you know very tricky to deal with but of course we were understanding why it took so long and everyone was very understanding because of the tricky situation with COVID. So I guess maybe you know having these extraordinary world events is much more disorienting and kind of confusing in anything to do with Finland or Tampere. And everything turned out okay in the end with the application? Oh yeah, I mean everything turned out fine. It was just very delayed. I mean, you can't expect things to go normally in these kind of times uh, in terms of how long. So I think that they basically had to slow down the processing of documents because people were working from home over the period from March to May or June. And then it kind of resumed at normal speed, but, you know, it, it was tricky. Well then, what about your research? How did you become a researcher? Uh, was it a decision made in childhood already, or just a chance that led on this path? Well, many years ago, I worked in radio. Back when, I mean, radio wasn't like this odd kind of antiquated thing. Radio was quite a normal thing. So this was in the middle of the 90s and 
I got really interested in some of the kind of legal obligations that radio stations had. In New Zealand, there's a special kind of audit of how much uh, locally produced music is played on the station. And there's various legal requirements around that. And I was responsible for fulfilling them and making sure that all the administrative work was communicated to the broadcasting authorities in New Zealand. And I I kind of got fascinated by this kind of work around um, rights and copyright and the different payments which artists get for um, music. And uh, I decided that I wanted to be involved in as a kind of legal practitioner around this area. And so I had previously kind of dropped out of university because I'd been demotivated and hadn't been interested in my courses. I re-enrolled when I was about 23 and started to study law. And I went to a university where you could also, when you were studying law, play around with the credits and just for one extra year study, you could get also a Bachelor of Arts. So I was studying that, Bachelor of Arts and Politics, and it was very dull. So I switched to media studies because it was more in line with my interests. And as I got involved more in scholarship about media and I was interested also, my personal interests had turned from music to video games. I just got fascinated with kind of conceptualizing new media and I got a scholarship to do a PhD in Australia. So I moved to Australia to do my PhD and I guess that I I got really good responses to my PhD work and just thought that it looks like I can make some kind of living writing and thinking about video games. So I'll try to do that for as long as possible. Well, about your research then, how would you describe it? And well, it's about video games, but what about them? To me, it's always complicated to explain this. But I'm really interested in what people's bodies have to do to play video games. So I'm interested in how people have to sit, how people have to focus and think, how people have to hold their hands and fingers and move them. So the kind of performance of the game, the temporality and the speciality, the the rhythm that you have to engage in. And also, it's not just one person, it's many times these rhythms are orchestrated between a whole bunch of people and machines, the computers. So I'm really fascinated by that. And my first work was looking at cyber cafes in the developing world and how people play video games in them. I moved on to how people use video games in classrooms to teach and more recently to the study of the relationship between people and avatars on computers. And now I'm really fascinated by the kind of connection and relationship between video game and pornography. The aesthetics of video games, the aesthetics of pornography, the kind of platforms that are used, like live streaming platforms are really central to both of those industries at the moment. So that's the kind of impetus behind the current course on pornography and game cultures and aesthetics that's um, part of the master's degree that's at the Center of Excellence in Game Culture Studies. Well, um, 
games and pornography is a topic that sounds a bit uncommon. Are studies about it new or they have they just been in the shadows? Well, you know, games and pornography have a really ancient, from this kind of perspective, back to the 80s, kind of connection where companies made pornographic games for major consoles and so on. Um, but they were always just like a small part of, of gaming, at least in the West. In maybe other jurisdictions like Japan, pornographic games had a much kind of more robust following. But, you know, the connection's really, like, I would say, pretty big. Like, porn stars or uh, celebrity uh, adult um, performers have been involved in, for example, video game production, involved in video game advertising. It's not, like, a huge part of it, but there's, like, a significant connection over the years. Pornographic magazines have been a major place where uh, games have been advertised and promoted, and... Now there's an even bigger connection with the kind of such a close relationship between Twitch and various forms of uh, online sex work in terms of these kind of streaming. So in the last few years, these connections have got really close. And I think that people who follow these platforms are now recognizing that there's a lot of crossover between them. So people live stream games on pornography websites as well as on Twitch or any of the other kind of gaming specific websites. And there are also now streaming platforms emerging which are specifically for kind of gaming sex work crossovers. As you mentioned, the pornography and games, they always have the connection, but it's been just a small part. Mm. To me, it feels like, well, I'm a person that plays way too much video games. Sure. And um, I feel like that almost every game nowadays has some sort of a connection to this. Do you think that it has become a bigger part these days? Or has the connection remained just as a small part? Well, when you look at games like Overwatch, for example, and Fortnite and various other kind of big contemporary or in the last few years recent games people are using their game engines to make short animated pornographic animations and these are widely circulated and so on so you know like the the engines which are used to you know express gaming and express kind of pornography have an overlap games might have sex scenes in them that have a kind of you know, could be seen as pornography. Pornography draws on the aesthetic of games and kind of the pornification of the gamer girl in the same way as the cheerleader kind of thing. Just a, a kind of contemporary update of a kind of girl next door that's sexually available. And, and uh, then also various porn stars have huge Twitch for all YouTube followings, men as well as women like millions so th this is also kind of like quite fascinating because people involved in porn porn performers are always looking for ways to monetize their careers outside of pornography because you can't be involved in pornography forever and they can get you know quite reasonable celebrity through their pornographic work but then what does that do when they retire from porn if they don't have something 
to continue. So I think that because this impacts unevenly on women, they have like a, a shorter porn window to work in perhaps, uh, that some women are seeing that their future is to be some kind of streamer involved in another genre. And you can see this already quite successfully being done by Sasha Gray, for example, who was a really big porn star in the late 2000s. And you know, a lot of porn performers have you know, millions of followers on these sites. You are at the moment interested in this topic, but what are you working on currently? Are there several things you're working on or just one? Well, at the moment I'm working on a big project about video games and pornography, which I guess like doesn't necessarily just involve pornography, but it involves looking at the connection between video games and sex work and looking at the connection between video games and aesthetic or glamour labor. So it's looking at the kind of role of women in promotional cultures around video games. And I'm also involved in a project in collaboration with scholars here at the COE. And the COE's other locations in Turku and Uvascula um, on a project about the Nokia Engage, this very infamous Finnish mobile gaming platform. And uh, it's in collaboration with um, the Finnish Museum of Games at Vapriki. And uh, we're hoping that in the next couple of years we're going to be able to collaborate on putting together like a, a major exhibition on the Nokia Engage and hopefully also produce a book about its kind of significance in Finnish culture. We're really excited about that too. Today I was working on a short piece that just looks at the role of underwear, like video game underwear because there's now a lot of different companies making video games specific underwear for women and it's also like something that's pretty big on Etsy like these kind of um, craft based sites for small businesses and in particular I'm interested in the crowdfunded underwear called Pixel Panties which is a kind of pixelated underwear in various colours so I've been doing a lot of research looking at I guess scholarship from kind of garment design and uh, sociology and stuff like that to try to understand the significance of underwear and human culture. I feel like um, gaming clothing has probably always been a thing, but since yeah. uh, Etsy and uh, shops like, well, Etsy isn't just one shop, mm. things like that have made it possible for, well, the business to grow. For example, I, I bought from Etsy not underwear, but sweatpants and a hoodie from Metroid series. Mm-hmm. Samus Aran's Variasuit. Mm. And well, yeah, I absolutely love them. Mm. And I probably should have worn them today. <laughs> come well, to think of it. Yeah, people have a great deal of affection for various elements of gaming. And like it's tangible in the sense that you can see that people like to have these kind of clothes. And, well, you know, we were talking in class just the other day about Pac-Man and we saw you know when we're looking at the images like there's so many images of Pac-Man underwear that even dating back from maybe the 80s so I started to think you know inspired by the class like what's the role of underwear in the woman's experience of gaming culture I think it's easy for us to like look at underwear in the kind of context that we're looking at it in and 
as a kind of male imposition. You know, like, I want my girlfriend or her to wear this underwear because I like that. But maybe we should also think about what it means for women and their inclusion in gaming culture to wear undergarments that show their affection for gaming. Well, I got one last question for you. What kind of a future can you see for your research or the topic in general? Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm I, I know I'm pretty nervous about it really. But I hope that I can maybe write a book about this topic and I can find a few scholars that are interested in it and we can have a conversation and that maybe we can move towards kind of having the kind of role of pornography in game cultures understood and normalized and not kind of ignored. Well, thank you for coming here today and discuss this matter with Thomas Appelet. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.